0: Welcome to Illyquit's History. Where two ill-equipped best friends tell you a story of something that happened in history. A long time ago or recently. Everything's history. How are you, Morgan? <laughs> I'm living in history right now, Emily. That's right. We're making history right now. <laughs> you think this podcast is going to be like in the history books? You know what? That'd be
1: pretty rad, if it was. Maybe, Please. maybe someday.
0: <laughs> that would be cool. Our grandkids would be like, "Oh my god,
1: <laughs> it's my grandma!" Y'all were on a podcast. <laughs> my, um, my mamaw's got a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to let the listeners know. I'm. I feel like I'm over my bronchitis. So, hooray! Woo! But um, uh, my throat will randomly just like, like I'll just randomly start speaking like I've been smoking for 60 years. So I'm just going to go ahead and apologize. I'm not really sure what's going on. I don't know if it's allergies or some leftover congestion from the bronchitis. The medicine is not making it go away. So I don't know what's really going on there, but. Are you just trying to be like this? Just let me know. Truck
0: Stop Betty! Maybe one day we'll grace y'all with Truck Stop Betty. uh...
1: Emily will grace you with Truck Stop Betty. (laughs) It's my favorite voice. And I'm so upset that
0: I haven't had a reason to use it yet. Also... If any of y'all hear kids in the background of this, just know it's uh, it's bedtime routine time. My mm. husband's taking care of that. And I have two slightly feral children. So <laughs> just know they are loved and they are safe. But they might be upset.
1: <laughs> <laughs> How dare you make them go to bed at an appropriate time? Like take a bath. Get ready. Put, put
0: jammas on. No, it's all too much.
1: You are the devil incarnate.
0: No, we won't let them watch Animaniacs all night. They're really into (laughs) Animaniacs
1: right now. Are they watching (laughs) the old one or the new one?
0: The new one right now, but I feel like when we run out of the new ones, we're going to go to the old ones. So they've been walking around uh, saying to each other, and what are we
1: going to do tomorrow night? Try to take over the world! (laughs) (laughs) i love it (laughs) which one i've never been emma which (laughs) one's pinky and which one's brain (laughs) listen
0: (laughs) (laughs) and i mean this in the most loving way possible my son works on pure instinct alone he is the king of acting on his um His just first thought that pops into his head, he'll just do it. My daughter is a little sneakier. So I feel like out of the two, my daughter would be more of the brain. My son would be a smarter version of Pinky. Narf. Narf. (laughs) Zach used to say that I was Pinky. Zach used to say I was Pinky growing up. And I'm like, just because... I'm a little ditzy sometimes does not mean I'm pinky and you are definitely not the brain. So
1: <laughs> <laughs> felt like that was a normal sibling argument. Cause I had two sisters. Um, I, and I'm the oldest. I was always wacko. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I swear. I was always dot. And I think Zach was a mixture, but like he just kind of picked one at the time. Mm-hmm. Cause there's only two of us.
1: <laughs> anyway sorry my brain Animani- anyway, is on animaniacs now we're animaniacs <laughs> <laughs> that's all I'll sing because all right. copyright <laughs> I know right don't sue us oh no no I got the whole theme song going through my brain <laughs> and anyway there's baloney in our slacks <laughs> okay we're gonna get into davy
0: crockett now guys
1: okay five five minutes in (laughs) to our episode and we'll finally start talking about our actual episode listen y'all love us right if y'all would love to hear us reminisce about more of our childhood cartoons let us know
0: we'll tell y'all about it (laughs) anyway Uh, anywho It's March 6, 1836, in San Antonio, Texas. Davy Crockett sits with a few hundred other men in the fortified mission known as the Alamo. After a few weeks of defending the mission from the Mexican troops that were trying to overtake it, they were worn out and running low on ammunition.
1: Davy, it looks like the Mexican army is moving in closer, and there seems to be more of them than we thought.
0: Damn! They must have been able to get back up Hopefully we can hold them off a little longer. The sound of the enemy troops running towards the mission rang in their ears as they looked over the wall to see what was coming. 4000 men were coming at the mission, ready to fight, and Davy knew that their meager 200 men were no match for what was about to happen. Davy tried to rally the men as best as he could anyway. Come on, men! Davy said a quick prayer as the onslaught of enemy troops overtook the mission. He fired his weapon until he was out of ammo and then fought in hand-to-hand combat until he just couldn't anymore. Davy Crockett might have died in the Alamo that day, but his legacy is much more than that. He was the king of the wild frontier, the coon congressman, and one of the biggest American legends. Of all time. So, Morgan, I know you know who Davy Crockett is. I am not asking you that. If you don't know who (laughs) Davy Crockett is, my sincere condolences.
1: I mean... (laughs) My first exposure to Davy Crockett was the song. Mm Mm-hmm. Um... That talked about how he fought a bear and killed a bear when he was three years old. A bar. A bar. A bar. If it's the same one that I'm thinking
0: of, I have a link to that. Okay, perfect. If you scroll down, Morgan, you can see an actual portrait of Davy Crockett. I don't think I had ever seen an actual portrait of him before.
1: I think I have. I think I've seen pictures of him like, cause he, like, I think I've seen pictures of him, like, as a congressman. Yeah. Um. And I think I've seen pictures of him in museums, but I definitely also remember, like, the black and white movie that we watched in music class when I was, like, when we were in junior high or something. Right.
0: <laughs> there are so many things about him or that were inspired by him in pop culture I didn't even know about, I found a list of everything and it was insane how influential this man was. And he was just out there vibing. So I, I know you know this Morgan, but I have a surprise to the listeners. I am, of course, very kind of, well, kind of distantly. I mean, I'm related to Davy Crockett. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> my and I'm gonna explain this best I can. My like six six or seven time great-grandfather uh was his uncle. So his okay. dad had a brother named William, his father, John, had a brother named William Crockett, and William Crockett is my ancestor. Okay. So we're
1: like cousins. Like, really distant cousins. Yeah, really distant cousins. But I thought that was really (laughs) cool
0: because my mamaw's maiden name was Crockett. Oh, that's so cool. So, yeah, so everyone was like, oh, yeah, we're related to Davy Crockett. And I was like, bitch, everybody says they're related to Davy Crockett. But I did my ancestry, DNA, and I followed the family tree. And I'll be damned. (laughs) I actually am.
1: that's pretty cool i'm not gonna lie
0: that's really cool probably why i'm so wild
1: (laughs) feral that's probably where
0: the feral children came from honestly (laughs) so a little bit about his kind of ancestry his family david the elder crockett who is davy's grandfather his oldest sons William John and Robert were in the battle of Kings Mountain serving under Colonel Isaac Shelby. They were part of the Overmountain Men um that oh. helped defeat the loyalists in the yeah. action Jefferson called the turning of the tide of success in the Revolutionary
1: War. Yeah, I've read I when I went to the Tennessee but Tennessee State Museum a few months ago I was reading about the Overmountain Men. Yeah. Um and their battle against the Loyalists. My
0: great 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 whatever grandfather and uncles were a part of that.
1: That's really cool. It makes me happy. Yeah. But
0: as many things did in the late 1700s, the bad things happened. Um Yeah. So his great grandparents immigrated from Ireland in the early 1700s and I actually found that in my DNA cuz I'm a i um 13% Irish.
1: Okay so that's kind of
0: cool too. I love DNA. That is
1: neat. I like science. Um I need to do my DNA kit that do I do it it's I have so one. Cool. Um
0: okay so John Crockett, so Davy Crockett's father was born in 1753 in Virginia, and like I said was one of the over the mountain men. Unfortunately, while John and William and the third brother, who was it? Robert, Robert were away doing that, several members of the Crockett family were killed or captured by the Creek Indians. In 1777, his grandparents, both David and Elizabeth, were murdered in their own home. Oh, no. And they wounded Joseph Crockett, and they took James Crockett, prisoner, who was, quote,
1: deaf and dumb, is what he wrote in his book. Dumb meant mute. Really? Um... Anything about your cognitive state. It was a way to portray that you didn't speak.
0: I see. I'm glad you said that. Guys, I want you all to know that I put the work in and I read most of the first book that Davy Crockett ever wrote. And this thing was written in 1834 and it took every brain cell I had. We don't <laughs> talk like this anymore. And <laughs> it took, Kendall said, it was a four hour long read and it took me on and off four days. So, oh,
1: wow.
0: <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what's crazy is, like I said, James was taken prisoner, stayed with the tribe for 17 years and nine months until John and William
1: found him and purchased him back wow. from the tribe. Oh my goodness. Is that not crazy? That is crazy. I can imagine having to buy your own sibling back after they were kidnapped.
0: Yeah. And he's, I mean, like in his 20s now, I think, because he was young. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, Davy Crockett was born David Hawkins Stern Crockett, and he was born near the Nolichucky River in Tennessee, which is now called Limestone, Tennessee. Okay. That's between Johnson City and Greenville area.
1: I've actually been there before. Kyle and I camped at the Davy Crockett Birthplace nice. Park. Is it nice? It is really nice. There's like a, a river right there. There's a lot of trees. We actually found, um, it looked like a tree where he carved his initials. Cool. And it was so funny because we got to, like, Kyle was like, how did he even get up there? And I was like, honey, trees grow. They they get tall. <laughs> Because there was no branches nearby, and I was, like, thinking, like, it was probably closer to ground level when he was born. It's
0: okay. Yep, in uh, 1786. (laughs) But, yeah, fun little fact. So, he was born in 1786. Tennessee didn't actually become a state until June 1st of 1796. Oh, wow. Davy Crockett was nine years old when Tennessee became a state. So it really was a frontier. Yeah.
1: When he was growing up. He was
0: out there in the wild. And they moved several times throughout his childhood. His parents were John and Rebecca Crockett. He was one of nine children. There were six sons, three daughters. And he was the fifth son. And I thought this was a funny quote. He said, quote, It is likely I may have heard where they were married, but if so, I have forgotten just didn't remember where his parents were married.
1: He <laughs> was like, I wasn't there, and, I Wasn't <laughs> important
0: to me. So, <laughs> so his raisin. He, at a very early age, of course, learned how to track, hunt, and shoot. His father worked various jobs, like working at a grist mill and running a tavern. But he still couldn't support his family very well. And when Davy was about 12, he was loaned out to a ranch as a bound boy tending cattle on a 400-mile cattle drive to settle the debt of his wow. father. He walked it oh my at God. 12. Oh, my God. They went from, you know, I forget exactly where they started out at because he did move around a lot. It was really hard to keep up with all the places he lived at. But they stopped three Mm -hmm. miles from Natural Bridge, Rockbridge County, Virginia. Okay. And then he was coerced into staying at Rockbridge for about four to five weeks. And it was kind of against his will. Like the guy that they, um, he went over there with paid him really well and was like, you should stay here. And because he was a kid and used to listening to elders... He's like, well, I feel like I don't really have a choice. I guess I'm staying here. Yeah. Until one day he came across a wagon of people that he knew from back home who were headed to Knoxville. And he expressed his situation and how he wanted to go home. And he was told that they were staying at a tavern seven miles from where he was currently at. And that if he could get there that night, before the next day, they would take him home. And if he was pursued, they would protect him. Okay. So he got up in the middle of the night and he walked those seven miles in knee deep snow. And he oh my lord made it just in time, right when the wagons were starting to stir.
1: He made it. Do you know wh- why that guy wanted him to stay there so I th- bad? Was it to like help take care of the cattle? Yeah, or- I think
0: what he said was that he had just done a really good job. And that he probably thought that he was just like a young kid and he could probably talk him into anything is kind of what I was, you know, thinking. Okay. So he headed back to Knoxville with this group, but he left the group in Roanoke because the wagons were going too slow for his liking. (laughs) He wanted to get home faster.
1: Y'all, I just walk 400 miles and y'all are slow. Yeah. (laughs) So he decided
0: to walk the rest of the way.
1: But he ran into
0: someone who happened to have an extra horse, and the man was kind enough to allow him to ride that horse, because they were going in about the same direction, until he was 15 miles from his father's house. All right. They parted, and the man went to Kentucky, and Davy went home. Good for him.
1: I remember right. that he's
0: only 12 years old at this point.
1: Yeah, yeah. In the middle of the wilderness of the Appalachian Mountains. That's safe, right? well if he's killing bars when he's only yeah right he has no choice i guess
0: but (laughs) when he returned he was enrolled in the benjamin kitchens school it is not a school for like cooking like the guy's name was benjamin kitchens so it was like an actual school school uh but he left only four days later because he beat up a bully and he left home completely to avoid his father's punishment Because he knew that his dad was going to like whippings. So he would just rather leave home. And he was on his own for three years. Oh my God. Yeah. Was he just living in the wilderness? No. He went with another... He found another like company of people that were taking something somewhere. And he was like, we'll work for money. (laughs) (laughs) So... He was on his own. He spent three years wandering around and doing odd jobs. And, or sorry, it said that those three years served as an inspiration for Mark Twain's Huckleberry Finn. And Twain did say that he read those tales because Crockett wrote them in the book that I read. Yeah. And when he arrived back at home, nobody recognized him at first. He just like went and sat down at the table with the rest of the family and they were like, what the hell? Who is, oh my God, it's David. (laughs)
1: Well, he's probably looks like, I mean, he's probably what, 15 or 16 mm-hmm. at this point. So he probably looks like a man. Close to yeah. an adult man after leaving as an adolescent. Yeah. Like a, a preteen. A
0: child. So he took several jobs after that, again, to settle his father's debts. And he would go around and work at places, but he didn't go as far as he did the last time. And he received mm-hmm. no significant education. And the History Channel stated that, quote, his teacher was his frontier, where he became a skilled woodsman, scout, and hunter. Mm -hmm. And he started doing a little bit of book learning while working on the John Kennedy farm, and he would pay Kennedy's son for reading lessons, and he also earned a reputation for being a straight talker and a straight shooter. And he... I. I believe he worked on a Quaker-style farm for a while. This is where he met his first love. And he met a Quaker girl. He never stated her name. But I'm going to read this quote to you. And um, it makes my heart happy. So, my heart would flutter like a duck in a puddle. And if I tried to outdo it and speak, it would get right smack up in my throat and choke me like a cold potato. That's so
1: cute. <laughs> that is really cute and so descriptive. I know.
0: <laughs> he definitely has a way he with words. does. <laughs> it gets even better. End quote. This is another quote out of his book. I told her how well I loved her, that she was the darling object of my soul and body, and I must have her, or else I should pine down to nothing and just die away with the consumption. <laughs> is this Bridgerton? Like
1: <laughs> this is very dramatic. What a what a! Ro- I didn't know I was reading a romance novel. Like <laughs> I know he was like I would if you don't love me back, I will literally die of consumption. <laughs> I, will die. I don't even have consumption, but I will die of it. She not her fault.
0: She broke his heart because she was already betrothed to her cousin. Which was normal, but ew. It's, I've got ew next to that sentence.
1: Yeah, it's the eighteen. I know, of it all. but it's
0: still ick. So yeah, he decided he'll just go find himself another girl. He just can't be alone, poor man. So he then was engaged to a girl that he had grown up knowing. He lived close to their family, but he kind of. Okay. The vibe I was getting was that he was coming on hard and strong. And he, like, kept asking and kept asking. And eventually she was like, fine, I'll marry you. They had set a date, but he hadn't asked the parents yet for her hand.
1: Uh-oh. Uh-oh. The poor man
0: was on his way to go ask her parents' hand for her hand. And <laughs> he apparently had waited too long because he went to the girl's uncle's house to stop in and be like, hey, do you think her parents like me enough for me to marry their daughter? It mm-hmm. ha- so happened that the girl's sister was there. Her sister broke down into tears and said that she was going to. Go behind Davy's back and marry another man the next day. They were supposed to get married the next Thursday. And she was, he was getting, like, she was going to marry that guy, like, the next day, which was like a Saturday or so. Like, Like tomorrow. Yeah, like tomorrow. He was just like, the girl was like, if you go to my parents, they like you better. They'll say yes to you. And he was just like, if she doesn't want me, then
1: whatever. So the poor man. I mean, I, yeah. I get it. Like, you want your spouse to be enthusiastic about joining a partnership with right. you. And it doesn't sound no. like she was. <laughs> and it was her loss. But anyway, so... <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, after... I literally wrote, after wallowing in self-pity for a few weeks, he wrote that everyone thought he was sick. And he said, I am of a broken heart.
1: <laughs> poor man. Oh, boy. Oh I know. Boy.
0: So, he's such a romantic... So he went hunting.
1: He is what a I sap.
0: I bet he made a good husband, though. Kind of. He oh, was good. He was okay. gone a lot, but he made a good husband when he was there.
1: Was he good for the time? Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> he took his kids hunting with him a lot. So he oh, that's quality nice. time. That's quality nice. time. Yeah. After, like I said, after wallowing in self pity for a few weeks. He went out hunting, I'm guessing for money or they needed food. I don't know, but he went hunting and he started speaking with a Dutch widow who had a daughter who was about her, his age. He started confiding in the daughter about his love life and she was like, I'm right here, but (laughs) let me tell you, um, what he thought about her. And I want you to know right now. Oh man. It's mean, but the way I laughed, but the way I laughed when I read this, because this, I swear to God, I'm reading a quote that he wrote in a book that was published in his lifetime. So there's a good chance. This poor girl read this. Okay. While out, I made a call at a house of a Dutch widow who had a daughter that was enough as to smartness, but she was as ugly as a stone fence.
1: that poor girl that is so rude it gets worse oh my god no and I only laughed because the oh, audacity so of this man that's <laughs> like... what I was just thinking like you actually have someone who's like hey like yeah. I like you," and I feel so me? bad for He's this like...
0: girl but it caught me so off guard I was like this can't be real okay (laughs) so she gave him some good advice and what did this man do anyway okay so she told me to keep a good heart that there was as good fish in the sea as has ever been caught out of it i doubted this very much but whether or not i was certain that she was not one of them for she was so homely (laughs) that it almost gave me a pain in the eyes to look at her I'm laughing at your face. That Damn it, Davey. <laughs> so rude. I know. That poor girl was like, I wonder if I'm in his book. I helped him get through his love life. I offered him advice. I told him he was a good man. And he said I was as ugly as a stone fence.
1: <laughs> what the fuck? And it hurt his eyes to look at me. Lord. Like, she was like, there's plenty of fish in the sea. And he's like, not you. <laughs> Literally, that's like
0: Not that many fish. <sighs> but they continued to be obviously platonic friends. And she mentioned okay, that he should come to their reaping, or like a harvest festival, in a few weeks. And that okay. she knew of a girl that she could set him up with. She... Set him up with someone. And he said that about her. So he ended up going. I know. Girl. He ended up going to the Harvest Festival. The reaping, as they would call it. And he ended up meeting the girl that the one girl was talking about. And her name was Mary Polly Finley. And he would visit her every couple weeks. They were. I think they lived maybe 15 miles away from each other. So every couple weeks, he would go see her. Okay. He went and visited her once, and she showed up with another suitor, and she saw that Davy was there. The other suitor was really mad, but she literally was like, I think it's time for you to go to bed to the other suitor, and then stayed up all night talking with Davy. So she ran off another suitor. She's like, bye! Wow. Wow. <laughs> So after a couple months of seeing each other, Davey was out hunting and he got lost in a storm somewhere like between her house and his was where he was hunting. And he started walking where he thought was home, but he was walking in the wrong direction. And in the woods, he saw a woman running through the woods. He caught up with her and it turned out to be Polly just in the oh. woods. And apparently okay. she had been looking for her father's horses and had gotten lost as well. So tell
1: me this isn't a rom-com. Tell me it's not. It sounds like a, like, I know they've already met, but it's very, it mean- is
0: Here's Here's another one of his, um, his lines. She had been traveling all day and was mighty tired. And I would have taken her up and toted her if it hadn't been that i wanted her just where i could see her all the time for i thought she looked sweeter than sugar and by this time i loved her almost as well enough to eat her
1: cuz i'm not so cute <laughs> also carry her she's tired I'm just a, <laughs> right well i'm imagining like when he says toting her i'm imagining him like throwing <laughs> like her like a over sack of potatoes and he's like no because I want to look at her, so I, I can't, can't carry, carry her. her like that. I want to look at her face. I love her face. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: they eventually made it to a house. And you're going to find this a lot. I don't know if, how many times I actually put in the story, but he he would just be out hunting. And I guess this was normal back then if if they got lost or stuck in the woods or something like that, they'd go up to a random house and be like, hey, can we stay here for the night? And everyone's like, sure. I guess it was normal. Wow. But they eventually made it to a house and apparently they he stayed up all night courting her. So, I guess talking to her. Mm. I don't know if that's code for something. Yeah. I don't know. Listen, I ain't in it. Wooing, flirting. Wooing. Um. So he came back. He, they parted ways in the morning.
1: I was gonna say woo hooing, <laughs>
0: <laughs> woo hooing. Are we in The Sims? <laughs> <laughs> woo hoo! <laughs> so he told her. So he got back, and he was like, "I'm gonna marry her." So he went back to her house and was like, "Can I have your daughter?" And the dad was like, "Sure," but the mom was like, "Dramatically, no." For some reason. Apparently she had her stock in that other suitor that Polly ran off. But Mm -hmm. Davey was like, I'm not having it this time. And he told Polly he'd be back the following Thursday. That he was going to just come and pick her up. And they were going to go get married. And that was that. So by golly, he got a couple of his brothers. I think one of his sisters. And some friends. Went to her house, had an extra horse for her. He didn't even get off the horse. And he was like, all right, come on, Polly, let's go. And she was about to get on. And her dad was like, wait, wait, wait. I want her married here so I can see it. And he was like, well, tell your wife basically to quit being such a bitch. They worked it (laughs) out. They got married at her parents' house on August 4th, 1806. Her mom wasn't very happy, but she conceded. And they rode back to his house that night. Here's another quote. And having gotten a wife, I thought I was completely made up and needed nothing more in the whole world. But I soon found this was all a mistake. For now, having a wife, I wanted everything else. And worse than all, I had nothing to give for it. Bless him. So... Between the two of them, they had three children total. John Wesley Crockett, William Finley Crockett, and Margaret Finley Crockett. They moved to Franklin County, Tennessee, to a farm named Kentuck, And it was a rented farm. And he hunted bear, fowl, farmed, etc. And he said that between one of his moves, he mentioned that They didn't really have a lot of money. And it said, quote, I found I was better at increasing my family than my fortune.
1: (laughs) That that how it be do though. You're woohooing too much, (laughs) sir. (laughs) It's a lot easier to make kids than it is to make money. (laughs) What else do you have to do?
0: (laughs) The War of 1812 comes around. And when that happened, most of the First Nations people sided with the British because they were like, I think maybe we could stop the settlers from coming over here if we side with the British. So suddenly the settlers and the tribes were at war after ease of just living side by side in relative peace. And the War Mm -hmm. of 1812... Was like the big thing. And the Creek War happened at the same time. It was kind of like a smaller subset. And the Creek War started in Mm -hmm. August of 1813 when a thousand red sticks is what they were called. The Alabama Creek Indian Warriors attacked Fort Mims and killed around 500 people. Oh, wow. I know. So Crockett signed up. As a scout for Andrew Jackson's Militia Army, which he was marching south to avenge the attack. He was kind of avenging the deaths of his families because they were killed by the Creek tribe as well. But his farm was struggling and the money was good if he Mm -hmm. went and fought. So him, and I think it said around 1,200 men, volunteered for a 60-day contract. And Polly didn't want him to go, but he said, if every man would wait till his wife got willing for him to go to war, there'd be no fighting done till we all got killed in our own house. <laughs> so by God, he went to war. And at that point, he only had, right. he only had two sons and a wife. So their daughter wasn't born yet. Okay. In okay early November, General John Coffey under Andrew Jackson led a thousand ragoons. In an attack on the Alabama Creek village of Tallahassee. Okay. Ta- yeah, I think it's Tallahassee. Okay. About 200 warriors were killed in that battle. And then yeah. in the Battle of Talladega later, they killed an additional 299 Creek natives. Wow.
1: I, ha- so, I hate I So, like, war. at that point it was... yeah. Yeah, I do, too. And I was just thinking, like, after those two battles, like, it looks like the casualties are pretty even.
0: Yeah. And he had a different mindset than I think a lot of the other soldiers did. He really admired the courage of his enemies. And whenever possible, he just avoided confrontations with them. Because his entire life, he had grown up living side by side with these tribes. And he... Right knew their customs well and everything and he didn't really want to fight but he was protecting his own if that makes sense. Right. So he ended up growing to hate Andrew Jackson and for the content for the rest of his life he would hate Andrew Jackson for the way he treated his men. Crockett and other scouts ended up having to hunt for food for the militia. They were living on just like corn and Wow. It was barely enough due to the lack of food and supplies. Countless men just got on their horses and rode home. Damn. And there was one point where they remember they signed a 60 day contract, they stayed mm-hmm. 90 days. And then they were like, We don't have the right clothing for this weather. We don't have enough supplies. We need to switch horses. Like, so they ended up going home and then taking care of what they need to take care of. And then they came back and Jackson almost didn't want them to leave. But then Jackson also, when they came back, tried to make them serve for six months and they had already served for three when they were only supposed to serve for two. So yeah, he said some stayed and some left. He didn't know how many either way, but Davey was one of those that stayed. And his reasoning was quote, I knowed if I went back home, I couldn't rest, for I felt it in my duty to be out, and when out was, somehow or other, always delighted to be in the very thickest of the danger. He
1: just liked to be in danger, apparently. (laughs) He he did. You know what? I'm getting Jack Churchill vibes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Where he's like, if there's a brawl, I want to be in it. He just loved it.
0: (laughs) Well, he didn't love it. He actually didn't like the war, but he knew what he was fighting for. And everything he did was mm-hmm. dangerous. Everything. So. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Okay. So in 1814, he later re-enlisted. He ended up going home. But then the following year, okay. he later re-enlisted as third sergeant um, to serve In the War of 1812, which was still going on, because he, quote, wanted a small taste of British fighting, and I supposed they would be there. So, he went to Spanish Florida, just because he wanted to fight the British. I mean, and he found them. (laughs) Yeah. Oh. So, now
1: we're at
0: 1815. He was discharged, and he returned home. Later that year, unfortunately, Polly died, giving birth to their daughter.
1: Oh. And oh, no, so I sad. know, and this
0: is the saddest quote you're gonna hear. But in this time, I met with the hardest trial which ever falls to the lot of man. Death, that cruel leveler of all distinctions, to whom the prayers and tears of husbands and of even helpless infancy are addressed in vain, entered my humble cottage and tore from my children an affectionate, good mother. And from me, a tender and loving wife. He loved Polly so much.
1: Yeah, it sounded like And it. now
0: he's got, you know, two sons that are less than 10 years old. Young. Less than 10 years old. And yeah. an infant newborn daughter who yeah. did survive. Okay. So his brother and sister-in-law ended up moving in to help with the children. But they didn't have to live there for long. Because he decided he was just gonna have to get another wife. I mean, that was the time. That's what That's you what did. Back did. Then. Yeah. So he knew of a widow, Elizabeth Patton, who her husband had died in the war. And she also okay. had two children about the age of um his kids. So he okay. he worked on her a little bit, and then they both realized that. He was going to be a good dad to her kids. She was going to be a good stepmother to his kids. And they married later that year. So his new wife had an $800 dowry. And for once, he didn't have to worry too much about making a living. So so they had three kids from his first marriage. Two kids Mm -hmm. from her marriage and then later on they had three more kids together.
1: Oh wow. This is
0: eight. It's a big family. Eight total. So they had Robert Patton Crockett, Rebecca Elvira Crockett and Matilda Crockett together.
1: Ooh. Elvira. Oh, Matilda Crockett is such a cute. I human. know. Matilda Crockett. Matilda. What a
0: cute name. So he started several businesses in Lawrence County, Tennessee, and began his his political career. And this is when he really learned how to write when he was a magistrate, because he would have to go to people's homes who owe debts and take them to the courts. But then he had to write the paperwork. Mm -hmm. So at first he was like, I don't know how to write. And they were like, we'll teach you. So they taught him how to write so he could write his warrants and stuff. That's so I know funny. his, like I said, political career started in Lawrence County in 1818. Right. It was, I think, yeah, it was, he was elected as the magistrate in 1818. So later on, I believe it was maybe 1821, somewhere between there. Look, guys, it was really hard to read that book. So if I get a couple of the dates (laughs) a little wonky, I am very sorry. (laughs) I'm trying. So his former commanding officer, Captain Matthews, was a candidate for the office of Colonel of the 57th Regiment of the Tennessee Militia and asked Crockett to run for major, which he declined, explaining that he had done his share of fighting, but the captain persisted and finally, Crockett agreed. So now he was the major of
1: this militia, right? Yeah, he
0: was running to be elected the major of this. Because Matthews okay. was running for colonel, and then Crockett was running for major. So he'd be like under,
1: if I'm reading this right. Okay, Does that make sense? Okay, I just, i I mean, what you're saying makes sense. I guess I've just never heard of like like milit, i guess it's not really a military because it's just a militia and that's a community right like locally based army so i guess it makes sense that they're elected positions yeah i don't know i just i hadn't
0: either that was just i just figured because it was also wrapping
1: my head around that a very long
0: time ago i mean we're talking like 18 early 1820s so that's 200 years ago and you're right it is like a militia but it was only when he was about to give a campaign speech that he realized his opponent was Captain Matthews' son. So the meaning was clear to him that Matthews thought that running an unqualified candidate against his son would guarantee the victory of his son.
1: Oh, okay. Pulling the yeah, so
0: that insult got Crockett fired up and decided, and he decided he was just, if he was going to run... He's going to run against Matthews himself. He's going to run (laughs) Colonel. And he stood up on a tree stump and told everybody that the cause of my opposing him, remarking that as I had the whole family to run against anyway, I was determined to levy on the head of the mess. (laughs) I love it. So the people actually elected him. And then his Matthews son was not elected either. He lost as well. So they oh, elected wow. him because of his honesty and he became Colonel Crockett yeah. on the campaign field rather than the battlefield. All right. And he always advertised his frontier background because he would always wear his buckskin clothes and the way he spoke. And what made him successful is that ordinary people thought that he understood their needs, because he did.
1: Yeah. He yeah. was one of them. He was Yeah, he, was a he peer. learned to
0: use that lack of education. To his advantage in that reason. For that reason. Yeah. So he often reminded voters that he wasn't one of those fancy men from back East who were always changing their minds to help their supporters. But an average man who was doing the best he could for his people. And his slogan, I want to use this now in my everyday life, is be always sure you're right, then go ahead. (laughs) Be always sure you're right, then go ahead. And... Within this, he, I put that he helped draw new county borders, but I think that was more when he was part of the Tennessee General Assembly between 1821 and 1825. And he represented Lawrence County and Hickman County between 1821 and 1825. So in 1823, he moved to Carroll County. And he won the seats at the General Assembly there as well. So now he's in charge of Carroll, Humphreys, Perry, Henderson, and Madison County. And he became a champion of farmers' rights. Between the years of like 1823 and 1824, he nearly died twice from malaria, once from, hypo- oh, once no. from hypothermia, crossing a frozen river to retrieve his gunpowder on the other oh, side. My gosh. And was apparently mauled by a bear. <laughs> now, the bear one, I don't know if that's within all of that, but those happened relatively
1: close together. Oh, my goodness. Yep. I can't believe he didn't die from being mauled by a bear. Yeah.
0: He uh, he killed a bunch of bears. I think one winter he killed, like, 47.
1: <laughs> Holy shit. So this bear was just seeking revenge. Probably. <laughs> you killed my 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 parents and my
0: friends and everyone i know my parents
1: <laughs> i can barely live on my own i can't bear this pain i think you need to take a pause on killing us all <laughs> I forgive you.
0: He really clawed his way back on that oh, one.
1: Man. <laughs> I can't, I'm sorry, you're so much. You're so much better at puns than I am.
0: It's my dad's fault. <laughs> you had to, you had to be quick with him. <laughs> All right, so. And I'm gonna tell you, in 1824, he nearly died again. So he was cutting and selling pipe staves, and he would um, put them on like a steamboat or a boat of some form, and a like a barge, and would transport them via water okay. at the time. And okay.
1: his barge and a pipe stave does that go on like a stove? Is that like a stove piece? I don't know. (laughs) You know, what? I'll I'll Google it real fast. Because by this
0: point in the book, I was like, okay, he was just selling something. I don't know what it is. And I don't want to look it up. I'm so tired of Googling every 10 words.
1: (laughs) So the internet says that they're the wooden barrel components that were used to make pipes. So I guess it was like like smoking the... pipes. So it looks like so it was like wooden pipes, like so not the ones that you smoke. Oh. It was like ones that were probably used in like infrastructure because these are big pipes. Oh, I see, I see, I um, see. But it looks like they they ran underground. Okay, like a pipeline pipe. Yeah, they were used to for water and stuff. Oh, okay. okay, so he was selling them. 'Cause I was like, because I when you said pipes, Dave, I was like, Are you are those like the little like <laughs> like part you breathe in? How many would he have to make to put them on a barge? Holy shit. So No, they're big, big pipes. Okay. Big pipes. Okay. So his barge
0: got caught in the rapids and he was trapped in the tiny cabin and the boat was oh, sinking. No. And he tried climbing out the window. But he got stuck, and the rescuers had to pull him out. And he was like, y'all better get me out of this fucking boat, basically. He said, neck or nothing. i He sure. said, neck or nothing. Come out or sink. <laughs> <laughs> but when they pulled him out, they basically, like, kind of skinned him a little bit. Because he was stuck in the window. I'm sure. But they fixed him up, and they made it down to Memphis in a merchant Gave them all hats and shoes and a little money to kind of get back home. And that was Major Brutus, Major Marcus Brutus Winchester, who would become a friend and help support Davy financially when he ran for congressman in 1827.
1: Oh, well, that's so nice yeah. of him to do that. So, in
0: 1827... This is the year he was elected as a congressman. This stint, he was a congressman from 1827 to 1831. So during his campaign, at one of his speeches, he ended it by saying that it was, quote, time we wet our whistles and led everyone else to the liquor stand. And he did this because his speech was first and it left almost no one to listen to his Opponent speech.
1: Because <laughs> he's like.
0: He's that like. I can't talk right much there. about politics. So I'm going to tell him a couple jokes. And then we're going to go to the bar. <laughs> so on that first election. I That mean, is quite a campaign. I want them to do that. Now I would go. I'd go to the speeches. And they're like. I'm going to buy you some beer. Oh yeah. So.
1: Tell you some jokes, buy you some beer.
0: Apparently, during his first trips to Washington, D.C., he was stopped by a man who loudly proclaimed his support for John Quincy Adams. And Davy yelled, you'd better run for hell and praise your own country. And when asked who said that, he replied, I'm the same David Crockett, fresh from the backwoods, half horse, half alligator and a little touched with a snapping turtle. Come weigh the Mississippi, leap the Ohio, rode upon a streak of lightning, and slipped without a scratch down a honey locust. Can whoop my weight in wild cats, and if any gentleman pleases, for a $10 bill he may throw in a panther. Listen, he didn't write that in his book, but I heard it from another reputable source. I want that to be true. So
1: was this the other guy saying that about Davy Crockett, or is that him saying it about himself? I think that's him saying it about himself. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's at least how i read it it could be someone else okay. but i took it as he was telling it about himself
1: that's so funny i feel like part of that was in the song too like the half alley or maybe am i thinking am i just thinking of rocky top
0: uh half bear the other half cat wild as a mink but sweet as soda pop i still dream about that you're thinking of rocky top
1: okay <laughs> Half by the other half. Cause you're cat. talking about like him being half alligator. I was like, was that in the song? No. Or is it Rocky? T- I like. Of Rocky
0: I like T- the and a little touched with a snapping turtle.
1: <laughs> Just a little, <laughs> <low, laughs> a little bit. Just careful, he'll bite you.
0: I know. So. <laughs> To honor his service at the Tennessee State Assembly, his Lawrence County constituents gifted him with a forty caliber Flintlock rifle made by James Graham. And he named it Old Betsy after his sister. Okay. Old Betsy. <laughs> and that was like his favorite gun for years. And he was always fighting for the rights of the poor. During his first term, he opposed a land bill because it might result in squatters being forced away from their farms. And another quote, the rich require but little legislation. We should at least occasionally legislate for the poor. Yeah. Good. Good on you, sir. Snaps to him. I agree. Yeah. And even though he eventually supported Andrew Jackson in the end, he still hated him. But he yeah. fought tooth and nail with Andrew Jackson. And their biggest fight came when Jackson introduced the Indian Removal Act in 1829. Oh, no. I knew that was I know. Work. And which gave, for y'all that don't know... It gave the Native Americans the unsettled lands to the west of the Mississippi River where they would be taught the, quote, arts of civilization. I've got, like, boo written out next to that because, ew. I
1: literally just sprained my eyes from rolling them so hard.
0: Yeah. Fuck those guys. (laughs) So, in exchange for their lands here, Crockett opposed this and believed that they should be left in peace on their own land. Good for Davy Crockett. Yeah. Because they should have been. They should have. Describing it as a, quote, a wicked, unjust measure. I gave a good, honest vote, one that I will not make, one that will not make me ashamed on the day of judgment. And it passed anyway, but the Cherokee chief apparently sent a letter to Crockett thanking him for his vote. Yeah. Aww. Yep. In 1831, he ran for re-election and lost this time, but it wasn't his fault. So, Jackson ran a dirty campaign, putting a man named William Fitzgerald in the running. He wasn't going to run this time, but a newspaper announced him as a candidate without him even knowing. So, he ended up just, he was like, fine, I guess I'll run. So, yeah. against William Fitzgerald, he was put through the damn ringer. Fitzgerald put out an ad uh, saying that Crockett was going to appear somewhere, like to speak or something like that, but nobody told Crockett, so they're putting up these flyers. And then when Crockett didn't show, oh. Davy Crockett got blamed. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah.
1: that's really dirty.
0: And during one of the debates, Fitzgerald actually threatened him with a pistol if he came up to even speak oh, in front of like a bunch of people. Damn. So he lost the election and to pay for the campaign debt he had to sell his land.
1: Oh no. Yeah.
0: Then he wrote The Life and Adventures of Colonel Davy Crockett of West Tennessee with the assistance of someone who knew how to spell. And then okay. one of the first campaign biographies which was an immediate success. So well, there you go. In 1833 he obviously wasn't in politics for a couple of years, he came back in 1833 when he was re-elected. So, okay, during this time, he helped save the president from the first assassination attempt in American history. So, wow. in January, on January 30th, 1835, an unemployed house painter. Richard Lawrence, who believed he was King Richard III, approached President Jackson as he left the Capitol. Lawrence drew his pistol and pulled the trigger at point-blank range. The gun misfired. And Jackson, who was 76 at the time, started hitting him with the cane. And then Crockett and a couple others tackled the attacker. The attacker pulled out a second gun and fired at Jackson, just inches away, but that gun also misfired. Oh my God. No one could figure out why both guns misfired. And Lawrence spent the rest of his life in an asylum because he thought he was King Richard III, so.
1: Yeah, I was like, he's not grounded in reality, Mm -mm. so a hospital setting is going to be the best place for him. Yeah. Yeah. And then maybe, maybe not the hospitals in those days. Yeah, maybe, maybe not.
0: I don't know. So then he wrote a narrative of the life of Davy Crockett, which is the book that I read. Okay, then he started traveling to the Northeast to promote his books. He toured factories, ate at fancy restaurants, visited the slums, kind of thing. But unfortunately, in 1835, he was defeated by Adam Huntsman. He had said that if he lost the election in 1835, he was like, if y'all don't elect me, I'm going to go to Texas. And November 1st, 1835, he gave old Betsy to his son, John Crockett, and set out to Texas with three friends, stating, quote, since you have chosen to elect a man with a timber toe to succeed me, you may all go to hell, and I will go to Texas. Wow. Apparently, the dude got his toe chopped off with, like, by an accident, and he had a wooden toe.
1: You <laughs> elected a man with a timber toe. And Davy toe. Crockett was like, he has a wooden toe. He is not fit. <laughs> To be elected, I'm going to Texas. <laughs> you all may go to hell, and I will go to Texas. Wow. Yeah.
0: So he learned the provisional government offered 4,600 acres of good growing land to any man willing to fight for Texas's independence. And he announced, quote, as the country no longer requires my services, I have made up my mind to go to Texas. I will start anew upon my own hook and may God grant that it be strong enough to support the weight that may be hung upon it.
1: Wow. Very, very self-important. Yes. (laughs) So is he going by himself or did he take his family with him? He went by himself. Oh, wow. So you just left Yeah. Well, Elizabeth we, and his kids behind? I didn't really say
0: this because I guess I didn't write it down. I was just reading it. But there were several instances where he would say Elizabeth and the kids would be here and then he'd be like, I think we should settle over here. And he'd be gone for a few months. And then he'd come back for them and, like, grab them and then they'd go move and then he'd do that again. So every time they moved, he would, like, leave for a while and then come back for his family. So more than likely, that's probably what he was planning on doing is that he was like, I'm going to go stake out the thing. I'll come back for y'all. Because he was going for that 4,600 acres. So he had a lot of reasons Mm -hmm. to leave. He needed the money. Um, he was abandoned by his, the people that had supported him in politics, the Jacksonians defeated him and he lacked any challenges. And I can see for a man like this, that he would need a goal to kind of get to.
1: Yeah. So he can't be stagnant. He always has to always be closing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So. It was also the right place to reestablish his reputation. And he had intended to be a land speculator. He reached the Nakadoches and received a big welcome. And they had cannon salutes and social events held in his honor. And in wow. a letter to his kids... He said that Texas was, quote, the garden spot of the world, the best land, and the best prospects for health I ever saw. I do believe it is a fortune for any man to come here. And some people thought he was going to get involved with the politics there, but he didn't. And I'm going to get into a very brief history of Texas and why the Alamo was important. So by 1826, so we're going back about 10 years-ish, the American settlers in Texas wanted to rid themselves of the Mexican control and create a free state known as Fredonia. I didn't know they wanted to name it Fredonia, (laughs) but I don't know who thought of that. But
1: Uh, I'm glad it's not Fredonia. Me
0: too. Me too. And by
1: 1835...
0: Seventeen thousand of the twenty thousand people living in Texas were Americans. Santa wow. Ana threatened to invade to quell the uprising
1: I mean it was the, yeah it was the Mexican's land it was like <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: so during the Battle of Gonzales, Texas claimed independence a month later after the battle, naming Sam Houston its commander-in- chief. And around right. this time, Davy took an oath to fight for six months in exchange for land. Okay. He volunteered with the Texas Volunteer Auxiliary Corps, and he insisted that the word Republican be inserted to ensure that he would not be obliged to serve a dictatorship. So I guess he was just kind of covering all his bases just in case.
1: Something happened. Right. He wanted to make sure it would still be a republic, that everyone would still have their rights. It wouldn't be just one person ruling over everything. So,
0: in early February, Sam Houston ordered him to lead a squad of expert riflemen to reinforce San Antonio. Okay. So, until the preceding December, San Antonio had been occupied by more than a thousand Mexican soldiers. But in the previous December, they had a five-day battle and the Mexican army had been defeated and surrendered all guns, property, ammunitions, everything to the Texans. And this pissed off Santa Ana.
1: I'm Uh, sure it did.
0: So Santa Ana was determined to take back San Antonio and show everyone that anything gained was futile. Whatever the cost, no prisoners taken. So he was making a statement with this. So on February 23rd, just Mm -hmm. a couple months after they took San Antonio, 1,800 Mexican troops moved in. The 145 Texans, Crockett among them, moved into the fortified mission called the Alamo. And nobody knows exactly how things unfolded in the Alamo, but apparently, Houston told his commander, William B. Travis, to destroy the mission and withdraw, believing his troops lacked the manpower and supplies necessary to defend it. He was right. Damn. If Travis had been able to do that, most of the garrison would have survived, more than likely. But Travis actually allowed his men to vote on whether or not to stay. And rather than retreat, they elected to stay and fight. So the Mexican troops got there and demanded a surrender. And in the same energy as the Battle of Athens, they responded with a cannon shot instead of surrendering. Mm -hmm. The Alamo was a small fortress, but Santa Ana's army immediately bombarded the mission. The artillery was moving closer and closer by the day. And by the 25th, an estimated 300 Mexican troops crossed the San Antonio River and reached a line of abandoned shacks about 100 yards from the walls of the Alamo. And the Texans had to dislodge them. So a small group of volunteers went outside the Alamo and burned down the shacks. So Travis begged for reinforcements. And on the 26th, 220 men left from the Fort Goliad to help the Alamo. But when they got to the San Antonio River, they realized that they couldn't cross it. And they went back. But about 20 men yeah. actually stayed okay. and volunteered to try to reach the Alamo to help. Wow. Yeah. You know you're walking to your death on that one.
1: And only 20. 20 Out of 220. Men, and like 20, facing up, what was it, like 1,800? 1800, 1,800.
0: Soldiers? Mexican soldiers. Most. Wow. Like I said, don't know exactly what happened during the actual battle, but Susanna Dickinson was one of the few survivors of the Alamo, and she said that Davy Crockett had entertained the garrison with his violin and storytelling, and was just trying to keep spirits up. So Travis recounted that Crockett was everywhere animating the men to do their duty, and some claim that he came within a whisker of killing Santa Ana himself when Santa Ana came within firing range. He just barely missed. There is some evidence that he was able to sneak out of the Alamo and locate a small band of reinforcements waiting at Cibolo Creek, which is probably those 20 people, I think. Yeah, that's what yeah. I was seeing. And he fought his way back in To make a final stand with his men. He could have left. He could have ran off. But he made his way back. But by this time, March 6th, Santa Ana's forces had been reinforced to about 4,000 against maybe 200 people. They attacked at dawn on March 6th. Apparently, Crockett had paused to pray and then just started fighting. They fired until they were out of any ammunition and then they fought hand in hand combat, hitting people with their guns until they were overwhelmed. He was forty nine years old when he died. And some think some think he didn't die at the Alamo that he just like
1: left. I think I saw something that was like he escaped through a grate mm-hmm. or something. I don't I don't remember, but I think it's very likely that he was killed there.
0: One claims that Crockett and his men surrendered and were captured then taken to Santa Ana who immediately ordered to execute them. And a Mexican lieutenant wrote that in a diary that was published later. I also don't see Davey being the kind of person to go the rest of his life hiding from his children and his wife.
1: But And he just doesn't seem like the person who would run away from something, you know, like he has that, he is that type of man where he's like, no, that's dishonorable. I'm going to do the honorable thing. what I believe is the right thing and I'm going to stand my ground. I
0: totally agree. It just doesn't feel right that he would do that.
1: Yeah. He wouldn't leave all those men to die, all those people to die and him just run away. That's not like him at all.
0: And there were only three survivors of the Alamo, Susanna Dickerson and her young child and a black slave named Ben. Out of all of those people, those three were the only ones that survived.
1: That's so crazy.
0: But 600 to 1,600, obviously records are, 6 to 1,600 Mexicans were killed as well. So those 200 men. Wow. Wow were fighting like they were way more than that, which is very impressive. Yeah. And remember the Alamo became a rallying cry of the Texas Army after that, and two months later, Houston captured Santa Ana, and the Republic of Texas was born. Mm -hmm. So Colonel Crockett's Exploits and Adventures in Texas, written by himself, was published after his death a year later, and he had written it himself, But it was fiction. So he kind of wrote it and kind of just made up stories. And they, I guess, found it and published it later. So his last known words written to his daughter before his death were, quote, I'm rejoiced at my fate. I would rather be in my present situation than be elected to a seat in Congress for life. Do not be uneasy about me. I am with my friends. Farewell, David Crockett.
1: Oh, that actually gave me chills.
0: But his family didn't believe that he had died at first because he had cheated death so many times. They were like, no, he's not dead. There's no way. So they sent one of his sons to go confirm his death. And it was confirmed. Oh, man. After his death, his son, Robert, joined the Republic of Texas Army seeking revenge for his father. He claimed his father's bounty in 1838 and returned to to elizabeth in tennessee and then brought elizabeth back to texas so kind of fulfilled what his father was set
1: out to do anyway yeah got the land that they wanted
0: returned back in 1854 where elizabeth received 320 acres of land due to crockett's brave duty defending the alamo and elizabeth remained there
1: but wasn't Weren't they supposed to get like four thousand? Why she only get three hundred? I think it's because
0: the, his son co- claimed his father's bounty.
1: Oh, and so they gave her an additional three hundred for herself. Okay, yep. okay, I got it. So you. Elizabeth
0: remained in Texas throughout the rest of her life, and she reportedly wore black every day since Crockett's death to express the deep amount of mourning she held. And she died in eighteen sixty, and she was buried in her black dress. Aww. I know how sad is that. So legacy. 120 years later, Crockett was introduced to an entire new generation in a TV series called Coonskin Cap, Tall Tales and All. And I think it was the, was it Disney that did that? But in Tennessee, he's got the Davy Crockett Birthplace State Park, Davy Crockett State Park, Crockett County, Tennessee, and uh, Davy Crockett High School. And in Texas, they have even more. They've got Crockett County, oh, Crockett, wow. Texas, Crockett High School, Davy Crockett Lake, Davy Crockett Loop, Crockett Middle School, Davy Crockett National Forest, Davy Crockett School, Crockett Elementary School, Crockett Street, which is apparently a major thoroughfare in San Antonio, and okay. Fort Crockett. Wow. Texas really I, they, Crockett. They did. <laughs> and kind of miscellaneous the m28 davy crockett weapon system was a small nuclear weapon system the smallest developed by the u.s which could be fired from a light vehicle or from a tripod mounted launcher so
1: why damn (laughs) why'd they name it after davy crockett why i don't know i've that's what i was just wondering like why would of all people yeah i don't know i don't know I don't know.
0: And let's see, they've got monuments at the Alamo. At uh there is a statue in Ozona, Texas. And there's a life size statue at the public square in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee. Countless okay. TV shows and movies. I mean, I literally wrote films. Too many to list them all, but I counted twenty one on the list of just movies wow, about that's him. A lot uh yeah. two popular plays one was Davy Crockett in 1872 Davy Crockett a musical was in 1938 there was a comic strips between 1955 and 1959 in 1831 the play The Lion of the West opened in New York City and it was based on his life though it was highly exaggerated but It helped cement him in pop culture from an early age. Okay. Oh, some more fun facts. While serving in the House of Representatives, he became a Freemason. In 1967, the U.S. Postal Service issued a five-cent stamp commemorating Davy Crockett. Right here is the link to the ballad of Davy Crockett. We probably don't have time to listen to that right now, but it's there. Okay, and I did try to okay. get a comprehensive list of the books that he wrote. I I couldn't. Why has nobody made a list? I can't find them. So <laughs> I found tons of books. Some written by him, some not written by him. But I I couldn't I couldn't find a comprehensive list. I know there's a mm. ton. Yeah, that's. That's that's my cousin. <laughs> <I'm> just... <laughs> that's my kin. That's my kin. My kin folk. <laughs> <laughs> I hope y'all liked my slightly exaggerated accent. I tried not to sound too much like a banjo today. I really did. Oh
1: man, it got it it got real thick in some places. Oh, I will say it did. It it did. There there's a couple things you said, and I was like, oh. <laughs> it apparently only comes out when
0: i drink too much or when i read davy crockett um quotes so (laughs) thankfully i'm not doing both at the time or you wouldn't be able to understand me i don't think
1: it's not like your last episode where you'd had a glass of wine and you're like what (laughs) i learned my lesson on that one for sure (laughs) i did well, this, this was a fun episode. This Thanks. was very interesting. It's, he was quite the character. He,
0: like, there were some times where I was like, you're kind of mean. And, mm-hmm. like, that poor girl. I still, I can't get over yeah. it. I laughed so hard. And I feel bad for laughing when I read it the first time. But it it just, I don't, it just didn't seem real. <laughs> like, how
1: would you yeah. See?
0: But then the way so mean, but the way he spoke about his wives was so Mm. sweet. And there were so many things in the book, so many compliments about Polly and he referred to her as his little wife. And I was like, that's cute. And he would talk about taking his, his son's places. So he's like, I took my younger one. And apparently they had to like swim across, they had to like walk across a river And he's like, yeah, my little son was having to swim when we were just wading through. So I'm like, dude, how young is this kid? (laughs) Itty bitty. Itty bitty. But he loved his kids. He loved his wives.
1: And he lived a life. I mean, my God. He really did. Especially for, you know, 49 years is not that long of a time to live. But he, it was maxed out.
0: Yeah. He didn't sit idle for long. No. At all. I don't think he could. On top of eight children.
1: <laughs> I forgot it was eight.
0: Eight. Apparently he said that his older, what did he call them? Like his older batch of children were like, <laughs> <laughs> he said a word like that and I should have wrote it down. But he's like, yeah, the, the other kids, we we raised them up and they were all off and married. So. We had some more. <laughs> like, <laughs> buddy, don't. <laughs> That's funny. Too much and. Hey, do you want to read a joke? Sure. Okay. Hey, guys, we're going to read another joke because it feels right. Okay. Oh, let's do another mountain humor one because it sure. it seems on brand. It feels right. It feels right. Yeah. Okay. We're reading another Prof Powers joke. After the cove was made part of the Great Smoky Mountains, several studies were completed on older residents. Two sociologists were attempting to interview older residents, and they noticed an older fellow sitting on a porch. In the interview, they asked him to share his secret for his long life. I've been married five times, drank a quart of alcohol every day, and smoke two packs of cigarettes every day. In dismay, they asked him, How old are you? He replied, Thirty <laughs> six <laughs> I didn't get it at first and then I got to thinking about it.
1: <laughs> they thought he was an old man in his thirties that's his life <laughs> so
0: that's all, on that's that really um, don't do drugs <laughs> like, don't
1: <laughs> don't drink too much alcohol. don't drink a quart of alcohol a day. a day and on top of two packs of yeah. cigarettes that'll age you faster than and five than anything. wives <laughs> at 36 <36? laughs> got it. Goodness gracious. Oh, my goodness. So, right, right. We're at almost two hours. Yeah. So, you might want
0: to start off. our sign
1: off. Okay. <laughs> well, if
0: you liked this, come back for more. Listen to all the yes, other please. episodes. And you can find us on Ill Equipped History podcast Facebook group, Ill Equipped History on Instagram, and you can email us at illiquidhistory at gmail.com. If you want us to get other social media accounts, let us know. Should we get a TikTok I, and dance?
1: Oh, gosh. No one wants no. to see me dance. <laughs> People delete tic- like the app TikTok so fast that they saw me dance. Y'all don't. I'm not a good dancer, y'all. Like I have one move where I will like, like, like jab the air with my hands, and I'll just go side to side, and I'll do that, and that's my dance. You're kind of giving
0: John Cena you-can't-see-me vibes. Kind of, but way dorkier. (laughs) Oh my god. Okay, Okay. Okay. well. Don't flip steamboats, apparently, and... (laughs) I don't know how our little sign offs are just turning into
1: cautionary tales now. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> it's you know what? We learn about history so we don't repeat That's it. That's right. <laughs> that is
0: absolutely <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't even know don't don't, don't try to fight 4000 troops when there's only 200 of you
1: yeah that's those are bad numbers those are bad odds yeah those are really bad odds yeah oh man thanks for listening to us we'll see y'all next week okay bye bye